I'm out. What? Yeah, I'm out. I'm out of the PVZ Heroes Tournament. You're out? Yeah, yeah. What was that? Rose. Across the street. You know, you better be careful, buddy. She's going to get you next. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Shroom for Two, the PVZ Heroes podcast, where we're pleased to announce Briar Rose being appointed to the Supreme Court. I'm Taylor. And I'm Mike. And yes, this is a very big step up for a beloved card throughout the country, and we wish only the best. And, oh, God, I, I, can't, I can't anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have too much of a joke, except that I'm real sad about that. But anyway, so uh, let's get going. So, so, Mike, what's up with the losers bracket in the tournament? Well, what's up with that is that I am no longer a part of it. I played, I believe, two rounds since last week, and I beat listener Jupiter Ascends in a fun four-game match, and then I was rematched against Luchin, who I played in the winner's bracket uh, several rounds ago, and I lost because this time Luchin put in a Rose deck, and I had mm. no way of beating it. That is interesting to, to show up against someone in the loser's bracket, like to, to rematch against someone and they've got different decks. That is an interesting kind of angle. Yeah, after the match, we talked a little bit and I asked, hey, this deck is really good. Why didn't you use it against me the first time? And apparently Luchin had been saving up gems to buy out the last of it, one of the deck recipes. Which no had, kidding. Yeah, a, a few legendaries that Luchin was missing, namely Brainana and Astrocado, and, you know, saved up the... Th- 3,000 some gems and bought that and used it to very good purpose because it uh it was too much for me to deal with it wasn't even briar rose that was the problem it was astrocado which i i had no way of dealing with and uh i was running the anti-meta smash deck from fujers and the the first match i had an answer for everything they threw down but i never drew any of my late game big creatures and Bummer. eventually lost to a great zucchini that didn't really polymorph much. It was just a 7-7 in the water lanes that I had no way of killing. Ouchies. Yeah, and then I lost... Uh, I, well, I, I split against a pretty nasty Conjure Infinity. One of the games, they got the dream of uh, Dr. Spacetime into Unexpected Gifts to oh, get the, the three discounted things. And That is really gross. I lost to a Trick-or-Treater, and Trick-or-Treat Infinity is a hell of a drug. Trick-or-Treater is amazing, uh, and you can't play it normally in Infinity, and I can see why. But, um... Yes, congratulations to the, as of now, three people who are still in the tournament. Uh, Akati, who beat me in the winner's bracket, and the real player gamer. And the winner of the loser's bracket was just decided a few hours ago, as I pull up the name to remember it. Igma. Okay. So cool. Well, good luck to all y'all. Yes, yes, absolutely. I sparred a little bit against Akati, because uh, they wanted some practice against Agro Solar Flare. And uh, as someone who beat me, I'm rooting for them because then I get to be like, yeah, well, I lost to the best person in the tournament. Absolutely. I'm sure that their 50 Canadian dollars will appreciate your contribution to their winning. I don't know what I would have done with the 50 Canadian dollars. I probably would never have spent it. I might have just asked them to mail it to me and put it in a frame to hang up because that is mm. that is that is way more of a trophy than than like the, the cash money of I uh I think I would have asked them to mail it to me in $2 bills, since that's not really a thing that we have in America. Uh, and I understand that the $2 Canadian bill is at least used to be a thing. At least it was a thing on Kids in the Hall 20 years ago. Let me see if it actually works. Yep, they've got it too. Anyways, that does it for my run in the tournament, and at least I made it further than Germany. I saw Did you see that tweet about, like, whoever, whoever ran a million simulations said that Germany's going to win the World Cup, and then they got toasted? That was Bloomberg, yeah. Haha. <laughs> take, take that singularity. Card of the week time, and this week we've got two cards for you. The first one being the ticket card. It is the Synchronized Swimmer, the beastly dancing sports zombie, a two-cost, two-two, amphibious, and when you play it, it copies the attack and health of another zombie on the field. But if you don't have one, then it's just an amphibious two-two. This card is really, really good. It is, yeah. We've talked a little bit about this on a handful of episodes recently, mostly from people writing in. Uh, like, There's a lot of different purposes for this card. It's a very flexible thing to have, and there are a lot of different ways to make this a big, huge value card. For sure. So um, I think that this is kind of the beastly 
Sumo Zombie. So Sumo Zombie is really great because it's good early and late. So Sumo Zombie is good early because it can move their fragile thing into its lane and kill it. Whereas it's good late because you can get their blocker out of the way and kill them with your big thing. In this way, this is able to snipe something that they try to hide in the amphibious lane, like a navy bean or something. And in the late game, when you have played like a bunch of gargs or something, you have a, suddenly a two-mana 6-6 six, six that you can play in the water lane. And that's like very beneficial to add that to your board. And, and on top of that, you got two very powerful tribes, too. you got Dancing and Sports, which means you're going to get it off good Conjure cards, and you're going to um, take advantage of Travel Synergy. Beyond that, there are even more deck archetypes you could put this into. You know, it would fit in well at home in a Gargantuar deck trying to copy a defensive end or something like that. You could, you could even talk yourself into putting it into a pet deck if you have, like, a Cat Lady that you really want to copy. I've never seen this in practice before, but... I suppose if you're running, like, Valkyrie Boogaloo and you wanted to be able to throw down two big 12-6s in one turn, you could throw, throw this down to copy the Valkyrie? That's legit. So so something else about this, this has a, a kind of weird interaction with Intergalactic Warlord. So Intergalactic Warlord makes that global buff that buffs all your creatures by plus one, plus one. If you have a Synchronized Swimmer and you have one of those buffs active, Synchronized Swimmer will be a 3-3 three, three, and it will copy the stats of the other thing and let's say the other thing is a 3-3 it will copy the stats of 3-3 but then get the buff again like it it always has plus one plus one relative to whatever it thinks it is and so it makes itself a 3-3 and then becomes a 4-4 from the intergalactic warlord buff and so it kind of takes advantage of that twice yeah I've, i've definitely seen this in the smash the most of any zombie hero running this like it has all the the big things that can stay alive. It's an amphibious sports card, which is very uh, sought after. Um, I haven't seen this much at all in Brain Freeze, I can think of, because there's so many other amphibious things that rival it. Yeah. Hey, Future Mike here. About an hour after we recorded, I queued into Ladder and ran into a Brain Freeze deck, which made very good use of Synchronized Swimmer. It involved uh, buffing up Mini Ninja with stuff like Killer Whale and Area 22, and then throwing down Swimmer to copy the big stats and... I got overwhelmed by it really quickly by a bunch of 9-3s and 6-2s, so props to whoever threw that together and totally proven me wrong. Anyways, back to the show. I mean, uh, Hardy and, and Beastly are definitely the kind of the beefy classes, and so like you're getting extra mileage out of this thing copying the stats when your creatures are big and you've got the good buffs. Right, yeah, it does play very well with a handful of event cards we've seen recently, namely Going Viral and uh, Secret, Agent, Secret Agent. Like, yeah, uh, don't forget treats either. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a lot of different things you can do with this card, um, even though by itself it is not the crazy good thing. It definitely relies on you having a good board already to really shine, but when you do, it is a whole bunch of stats for only two brains, and that is a big boon in the late game. Yeah, and the baseline is is pretty fine as well. Just two-cost thing that goes in the water lane. Um, is able to sort of be worth its weight even if you're not getting anything extra off it. Um, and its interaction with the other stuff going on in its class is is top-notch. So I definitely recommend piling on for this one. Yeah, and if you're trying to live the dream of running like a Boogaloo uh, Gargantuar's Wrath deck where you have something in every lane, this is a fine candidate for that if you're messing oh, yeah. around with something on that outer rings like that. I wonder if like you could do like a like a Boogaloo binary stars Gargantuar's Wrath where you hit him for twelve at once. That would be quite the dream. If that's ever happened to you, let us know. Yeah, that would be that would be pretty gnarly. Uh, but that's not our only event card this week. There's an event card in the cash shop because there is a uh, like a summertime bundle going on, um, and uh, that event card is the King of the Grill. Uh, it is also a beastly card. It is a gourmet gargantuar zombie. It is a 6-6 six, six with Frenzy, and it says when a garg destroys a plant, conjure a gourmet card. So this is definitely less versatile than Synchronized Swimmer. This pretty much goes in decks that wants to either make gargs cheaper or kill them with gargs after playing a control game. And so this thing is a pretty good role filler in either of those two cases. 6-mana six 6-6 six, six with Frenzy is like fine stats, and Conjurer, a gourmet card, is a pretty good pool to draw from. 
Yep, it has the same Conjure Gourmet thing that a cheese cutter does, and in exchange for the cheaper body and Conjure discount rate, you are a lot more likely to get a card off of this than you are for a cheese cutter. Like, it is a, it is really hard to get this to not either hit six to the face or Conjure you at least one card. Often both. So the, um, and again, it's, since it's a Garg, it's, its effect is global. So like if you have some other Garg or you play the Smash's ultimate superpower and you kill a thing, you'll still get a Conjuration. The thing with this, especially because it's in the cash shop, um, you will need to spend a fair bit of resources to get this card. Either they're, they're five bucks a pop, or if you craft them, they're double the rate. So it's 2000 per instead of one. Um, I would say that there are definitely alternatives to this that make this not a, a must have, um, but it does outperform a fair few of the other gargs at the six cost slot. So within the beastly class, you've got deep sea garg, the six mana seven, seven amphibious, which is like fine, but frenzy is definitely helps you win games. And the, the conjuration is, is not just flavor text that really does matter. And, like, I would similarly put this ahead of, like, Wizard Garg. Again, not having Frenzy is kind of a big deal. Um, and it's certainly behind uh, Defensive End. And I would say that Gas Giant probably does a little bit more as well. Um, and that it's ahead of Curse Gargolith. So it's, like, it's like towards the front side of the middle of the pack. Um, and if that's worth five bucks to you, um, then then I'd say go for it. Yeah, uh, conversely, you could try to maximize things that will conjure this card, since it is a, a Gargantuar, you will sometimes get it off of Garg Throwing Garg or Garg's Feast, and Definitely. since it itself is a gourmet card, you, you every now and then you might luck out and get one off a cheese cutter that'll cost five, and that feels great. Yeah, that, that thing really smacks them around if it costs five. Um, and I would also say, for people who are starting out and they are not averse to spending money, Gargs are one of the things where it's a strong strategy, but requires some stuff at the rarer side of the card pool. And so, you know, if your gargs that you've got are like Smashing Garg, maybe Wizard Garg, um, Surprise Garg, those things, those are okay. Those are definitely capable of being indexed that win games. But the Garg power level, or the power level of a Garg deck really does kind of increase with how rare your Gargs are. That's just the nature of the class. And so um, if this card is substantially more powerful than the Gargs you're getting just as a new player, um, then this is a not terrible place to put some money or, or sparks into in terms of making a thing. Uh, and because the other thing, you're not just getting the one Garg, you're also getting... Uh, I think it's 18 extra cards per pack. Yeah, because it's six cards per pack, and you get three packs for everything you buy. So three packs and a um, King of the Grill for every five bucks you spend. That's, like, fine. You'll probably get some other stuff, some gems or whatever. Um, and so if you've got five bucks to spend in this game, you can certainly spend it on worse stuff than this. The fact that it will conjure you a card even if it trades and both things die is a yeah. nice little boon, because there's... Definitely a plenty of ways to kill a 6-6 six, six with minimal investment from a plant player. If it takes a Shamrocket away from your Garg-throwing Garg, then that is a pretty good case, too. Yeah, and, and so this this is kind of echoes of uh, the previous event card, Sonic Bloom, where, like, if you've got every card or reasonably approximate every card, then Sonic Bloom kind of falls behind the things that are actually at the front of the pack. King of the Grill, similarly, is worse than, like, Supernova Garg. It's worse than Defensive End and stuff. And so, like, if you're looking for what Garg should I craft with my relatively unlimited resources, um, this is not at the top of your list. But it is certainly fine on its own. It's very good on rate, and its power is strong. So I would, um, I would give this a look if that's something that you're interested in doing. All right, so we are going to do a mailbag episode today. Um, we've got a handful of questions. Uh, so our first piece of mail here comes from listener Adam, longtime listener Adam. Says, Hiya, I'm going to present some of my thoughts on people wanting to rebalance. Uh, more specifically, two of the most controversial cards right now. And so those being Briar Rose and Valkyrie. Uh, there's definitely a lot of people clamoring for a Briar Rose nerf. Um, Adam points out Fry being one of those people. And Adam's position generally seems to be that ramp players are the most suited to seeing Briar Rose's power. That, like, your board is going to be full of flowers, and that means that Briar Rose is absolutely at its best. 
if people were like kind of less myopic in their view of good flower decks, I guess, then they would be less inclined to think that Briar Rose needed to be nerfed. Uh, what do you think about that, Mike? Well, it's tricky to separate Briar Rose being awesome in ramp decks versus all of the other really good tools that are in ramp decks, namely things like Cobb Cannon, which I find to be a much more terrifying scourge. I think at this point there are enough things, you know, maybe one more thing that works as an answer to Briar Rose between, like, Knockout and Deadly and, and stuff like that, and and any kind of uh, attack shrinkage to get in Rolling Stone territory. Like, like yes, it's a very strong card and a big center point. Like I said before, I think it would be better if Briar Rose weren't so unique in its ability to answer big threats if that single pressure point were like three slightly weaker pressure points i well so my thoughts on that um we we've discussed briar rose before i think that briar rose is kind of two problems or not problems but like that there's two kind of angles that i would go about talking about it one is briar rose hurts you more the less you play around it so I think that the absolute worst Briar Rose blowouts are where you don't take the time to think, okay, what if they have Briar Rose? Where should I put my stuff? What if they have Briar Rose? What should I kill first? That leaving around random flowers that don't matter if they don't have Briar Rose, but trade one for one with good cards if they do have Briar Rose, is just a habit that Certainly, I lose less to Briar Rose when I got into the habit of thinking of that. I did just get smacked around by Briar Rose in that tournament, so, you know, it's not like you can totally mitigate it by learning to play around it. But you can definitely shave some percentage points off of the Briar Rose decks by, like, understanding, okay, if they have Briar Rose in two turns, what should I be doing right now? Okay, so think about, like, a snowball rolling down a hill and collecting more and more snow and moving faster and faster as it gets there. And Briar Rose is, like, somewhere in the middle of that hill... It's a symptom of, okay, if I don't kill their solar winds or their twin sunflower, then the bigger things are going to come out faster. And if I I, I let this go on for too long, then I'm going to get blown out by Cobb Cannon or Dark Matter Dragonfruit or Great Zucchini or something like that. And so it kind of becomes this focal point of things that happen before it and things that happen after it that are also really powerful in their ways. Yeah, and and so the way that you mitigate that is to prevent them from getting momentum. And so um, I think that if ramp decks with Solar Flare really are indeed quite good, the answer is to not tap out on turns one, two, and three. You know, like, unless you're, like, super, super serious aggro deck, don't just play a creature on turn one. Hold up, like, a nibble or something. And play a one-cost creature on turn two so that you can have some kind of thing that you can hold up an answer to double sun or to twin sunflower. Um, Which brings me to my second thing that I was saying, the second kind of angle that you can go at Briar Rose. I think that Briar Rose is very, very ripe for a new removal spell that targets it. So we've discussed in the past, like how would you have a removal spell that hits Briar Rose that doesn't go nuts all over everything else. When we look at the flower tribe, the flower tribe is spread pretty wide over every class and there's a lot of mechanical stuff that the flower tribe is allowed to do so if you had a removal spell that hit flowers that goes a long way towards it being pushed enough to see play and so if you just made the numbers line up so that it was really good against briar rose costing say two deal four damage to a flower that would like be a pretty good card that would just so happen to land right on briar rose's head but, like, not totally hose everybody because flowers are only one of the strong plant tribes. You still would be paying a cost by including it in your deck. I think it's a matter of making sure that answers to Briar Rose are well distributed throughout the colors because, yeah, you can throw, like, a laser base alpha and deadly strike through it, or you can play knockout and kill it that way, but it should be something where every color has something they can do about it, and I think that would put it in a good place of power without having to mess with the cost yeah and similarly you know i think it's fine if briar rose is better against certain classes certain zombie classes than others so like each of those classes has their own kind of texture of removal spells if beastly the class that gets the big creatures and also frenzy gets hosed the most by the card that's meant to hose big creatures and frenzy um then 
that's not super egregious. Um, it just happens to be a lot of PowerPoints put into that particular hoser. Um, and so, you know, I think the answer is more cards rather than continuing to pull the levers, trying to calibrate like whatever the exact perfect Briar Rose is. Speaking of trying to calibrate a uh, powerful card, the other card that listener Adam writes in about is Valkyrie, who uh... was was just the subject of, you know, like a flurry of nerfs that hit everybody else in the room and then left Valkyrie standing in exactly the same spot. And uh, Adam writes in saying that uh, if PopCap were to turn the nerf gun on to Valkyrie itself, it would probably overkill it and do too much to it. Adam suggests that uh, lowering the health is a good way to go because even having like one or two things die gives you a ridiculously overstated creature for only three brains. I disagree with that. I think that the the thing that makes Valkyrie so good is it being used as an OTK, in which case like it could be an X1. If X is exactly the size of your face, then it still kills you. I would be totally at peace if Valkyrie costed four or even five because uh, compare it to Potted Powerhouse, another finisher that gets crazy big while it sits in your hand that is a five cost card and no one's complaining about that the way people have uh, decried valkyrie decks and i think it's also never been anywhere close to as good as valkyrie the other thing is that valkyrie is not the beginning and end of the problem because we're not talking about valkyrie zmac or valkyrie boogaloo in the same way we're talking about valkyrie brainstorm it is a combination of all of the extra card draw to give it the consistency of getting one in your hand early combined with being able to teleport it out or bonus attack it out that uh that is really getting people riled up over that and if you look at what the previous nerfs were regifting zombie mustache monument it was sort of targeted at the the sort of vulnerable spots of that combo assembly mechanism that say hey let's make it harder for you to draw enough cards that you always hit your combo let's make it more costly for you to assemble your otk um the other thing here this also goes to briar rose as well is that these cards are legendary and that the the cost that they're paying as far as their player base being pissed their player base having an excuse to quit um for nerfing a legendary card is much much higher than it is for nerfing a random event card or a random rare so they are kind of working with a constraint set of tools if they are kind of unwilling to get over the hump of of nerfing the most powerful legendaries in the game we've certainly spent no shortage of time on here talking about teleport and why teleport is so restricting for how the games are able to play out what kind of cards they're able to make and have them be safe you know, I would, as as someone whose favorite deck right now is a deck with four teleports in it, um, that uh, that Mimegarg Immortitia, that deck would be a million times worse if teleport didn't draw a card. It would be a lot more costly to cycle a teleport. It wouldn't even cycle it. Like, it'd be a lot more costly to just, like, run out a random teleport to trigger a... Um, uh, trick-or-treater or something if you weren't also getting a card back just by the nature of playing the card. And if they got rid of the card draw on Teleport, and that was the price we had to pay in order to make Valkyrie not stomp all over everybody, um, then I would be perfectly willing to pay that cost. And, I mean, the fact of the matter is, I think that a fairly sizable chunk was taken out of the Valkyrie Brainstorm deck by those previous nerfs. I mean, Mike, you're the you're the latter fiend, so you can speak to that, but, you know, I think that I certainly don't see it as much. Definitely way less common in this day and age, though uh, Teleport is still... I, I see Teleport a lot more than I see Valkyrie, for sure. And the the thing about Valkyrie decks is sometimes they're going to steamroll you regardless of what numbers they change or whatever, like getting the Valkyrie in your opening hand and, you know, a, a couple of high-pressure cheap minions and a teleport, sometimes the stars are going to line up and they're going to be able to drop that, you know, 12-attack thing and do a bonus attack right away and kill you. Like, sometimes you're going to lose to a Valkyrie deck and feel really bad about it, regardless of what they do. Yeah, and I mean, same goes for any kind of relatively uninteractive combo like cycle cap or some captain combustible thing or whatever there's really a limit to how much the developers i think should feel responsible for sort of solving the player's problem for them um you know i think that in the world that we're in right now valkyrie decks probably have a lot better of a matchup against decks that try to fight fair with small to medium-sized creatures um, and do a lot worse against 
people that try to shut the game out early. So if you are very good at goldfishing your combo faster than them or getting in eight damage with a haunted pumpkin, um, then I think that Valkyrie looks like a lot less of a problem to you. That is often the answer where, you know, okay, don't worry about whatever stuff they're doing. You have you have the cards in your hand where you can try to kill them as quickly as possible. And that's why Agra Solar Flare is really good. Yeah, and I mean, it's an uninteractive combo. Those are going to suck to play against. And, and, like, there's only so much interactiveness you can try to add on to a fundamentally uninteractive card. Like, I guess it's really more Teleport and Mustache Monument that are the uninteractive cards. Valkyrie kind of definitionally needs to be interactive. I think Adam is of the mind here that... Valkyrie would probably be better left alone, um, and that I would agree with that statement. Yeah, the only thing uh, holding me back from feeling that way as well is that I have six of them, and if they get nerfed, then I get 8,000 sparks. (laughs) So, full disclosure, I am biased. (laughs) Okay, well, you know, those of us that don't drive solid gold rocket cars, um, you know, I think are able to be a little bit more removed from the... We have less of a dog in the Valkyrie fight. Yeah, and messing with Valkyrie is definitely a lot easier than messing with Teleport, because not only do you have to mess with the Teleport card, but there's also Teleportation Zombie, and that huge Giganticus environment that gives you a legendary card every turn, which, saying it like that, it sounds kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, HG is kind of busted, but that, you know, that's that's another show. Yeah, I mean, HG is power creep the hero, like, pretty much. It's definitely pushed, like, stupid hard. Um, Like, it's, I don't know. It's really good, and there's not much more to say about it than that. Um, Okay, so let's do another question now. Our next listener mail comes from Fujers, the Twitch streamer and apparent uh, Shroom for Two listener. So thank you for supporting us and sticking with us. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for writing in. Fujers writes in to ask, uh, hypothetically speaking, if there was an arena mode, what would you guys think the meta would be? Best heroes? Worst? What cards that don't see play in Constructed would be seeing arena and vice versa? Any cards you think would be a problem? Take care and much love, Fujers. So that is a very interesting question. I think that an arena mode would be really cool. I think that it would be very fun to try to draft a deck and and put it together. Um, and I know that all those magic players that make this game, um, you know, are are into playing limited as well, and that they would like to see some kind of thing like that happen. Question of whether it ever will, I'm not sure. But so so, Mike, what cards do you think would be really really good in arena? I think. Anything with the conjure tag on it would be an auto pick because I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I I see an arena game laying out as like a, a value based game where both players are pretty much able to exhaust their hands near the end of it. And whoever has more bodies to throw out there will probably win. Right. Like, so, so the, um, there's a mechanic very similar to conjure in hearthstone called discover where it's like you get a card at random, but you have three choices. Um, you know, within some constraints and, uh, too much conjuration in, or rather too much discover in a hearthstone arena format really kind of screws it up. Like the, the power level of a good conjuration versus a bad one is so swingy that like, if you were able to pull a bunch of really good conjure cards and then you just like the dice came up in your favor when you played them, um, then like kind of what the other person drafted like didn't really matter as much and that's very frustrating um and so i could see that playing out here and so something like i don't know dr space time would be like probably one of the best picks and just like all the cosmic stuff i think would just be like slam dunks i think photosynthesizer is the big money card in in this question about Mm. you know what are the overlooked cards that would be crazy good in this because uh one of the uh, Hearthstone streamers I watch a lot of, Amaz, is a priest specialist, and priest has a card called Power Word Shield, which gives a creature two health and you draw a card. And he thinks oh, wow. that card remember... is really, really good, and Photosynthesizer is pretty much the same card, except... Ex- <laughs> somehow, I play a lot of priests, and I somehow never noticed that, that is, like, very much exactly what that is. Wow. Yeah, That's exactly. Good. You don't think of it as being a crazy, ridiculous card when you look at it, but... In this kind of game where you're trying to keep your stuff alive for a little, little bit longer than your opponent and trying to give yourself more cards, it is an all-star. And the other group of cards I think would see a lot of play are stuff that is overstatted for their mana cost. So Definitely. things like a Rescue Radish, which is a 3-cost three 3-4, three which 
has a you know a, a little bit of a downside but can be an upside if you play it right and uh firefighter the four five for four gravestone zombie i think that would be crazy good in an arena sort of play um i think similarly cards with armor um i think would see a lot of extra play there um and then it would just be about i think environments too um you your opponent would be a lot less likely to pave over your environment so like unless the card pool was like specifically juiced so that you were able to get some environments you know i think that's just like a great way to actually get the value off of a clunkier environment like red planet or cone zone i mean cone zone's fine but like you know Cones on the six around the whole game was definitely way better. I wonder what the drafting process would feel like compared to a Hearthstone draft, because in Hearthstone you have a much bigger pool of cards to pick from, and there's a yeah. whole bunch of cards that can be playable in every class. That's right. Whereas with a draft like this, you're limited to two colors, so that's a much smaller card pool. And the fact that you can get, uh, I guess the duplicates doesn't matter, because in Hearthstone Arena you can have like three or four of the same card. Yeah, so I'm. I mean, I think... I mean, honestly, they could probably just basically rip it off 100% and have it still work okay. You know, you, you're presented with three heroes at the start, you pick one of them, and then you are just presented one at a time cards to pick, you know. Um, and I think that the card pools are probably big enough that you it wouldn't feel too samey. I mean, like, so let's just take a look here. For, let's see. There's about a little bit more than 50 cards in every class. You'd be presumably uh, picking with, like, rarity-based stratification. So, like, they would present you three super rares at the same time, and you'd pick one of them. Um, and so, like, you could do some math to find out how many combinations that is. I think that that's probably pretty okay. And, honestly, this would be very easily paired with another batch of cards to be released. You know, like, there's, there's nothing stopping them from adding more cards to this game. Um, and, like, that... When you have the basics, all four sets, then the event cards, maybe like a handful of new ones, you know, like just a couple more commons, a few more rares and stuff. I think that that would be a very fine card pool. We didn't talk about what we think would be worse. So like, so, so what do you think would be worse than, than in Constructed? Hmm. Uh, Sergeant Strongberry, probably. <laughs> like... Yeah, real, real deep tribal synergy. So like, you know, if you, if you like close to the beginning of the draft like picked uh like a aerobics instructor or something um then you could try to go deep on on that tribe but you know if you were to have like a specific evolution you know like something um i guess cob cannon would probably still be pretty good just because cob cannon's so nuts and it's it's easy to get a team up card but like um like loco coco or something which is like not even a constructed all-star but i think that that kind of thing would be you'd lose some power points there yeah, the other thing about the arena process from Hearthstone's point of view is it has gone under years and years of mechanical tweakings as far as giving you a more balanced deck to draft. Because, like, yeah, yeah it started out being more or less rarity-focused, but then they started collecting the data of, okay, here are the cards that when people pick them, they lose all the time, and we're going to yeah. prune those out. And they've done, like, two or three passes over that way, which has definitely made arena in 2018 a lot more fun than arena in 2015 or so uh yeah and i mean that's like if they were to have an arena mode they would have to actively curate it in that way there's presumably a number of things stopping them from having made an arena mode if we haven't seen one yet i can imagine that that's probably higher on the list uh fracturing the player base is something else that we've mentioned before you know like why don't we have a tavern brawl where we can play we can queue in against an opponent and play a weird game it's like well because that would siphon off half the people on the ladder and then maybe all of a sudden you're not have enough people on the ladder to have it work yeah i um, I, I think you would definitely get a, arena. a much longer wait time for queuing into a match because not only do you have people vying for playing constructed versus arena but you need to make sure people are playing plant arena and also zombie arena at That's relatively right. even numbers and that i don't really know how to enforce that or hint that to people i i feel like a while ago there was like a hey we made a little symbol to let you know when more people are trying to play plants so you should play zombies but i don't think i ever have seen that yeah i don't think i've seen that either and i definitely do notice longer queue times as a plant i mean so um, something else that is a possibility, like, um, there's another card game that I played a little bit called Eternal, um, and they have an arena mode, and one of their arena modes is you draft a deck and play against a bot. Um, so there's, like, the play against a human mode, and then there's draft a deck, play against a bot mode. And, um, the random battle button probably scratches 
that itch enough for most people who would want to just play a random game against a bot. I think like that people would generally prefer to play constructed than arena. Although I guess I have no evidence for that. If fracturing the player base is a concern, then drafting a deck and playing against precons um, is a is a way to to split that difference. What would you think about that, Mike? That'd be interesting. It's hard to tell how much of an issue this is without any kind of numbers of okay, here's how many people are playing at a given time. Yeah, um, I, I mean they certainly have those numbers, and so they're able to make decisions based on that knowledge. We just have to kind of pull it out of our ass. And I mean, I I'd love to see Arena in this game. Drafting is really fun, and especially for all you out there who have never played Magic and never played Hearthstone, um, there is a lot of fun in that kind of game mode that you just don't get in building a deck and playing with that same deck. Um, you know, like there's a lot of skill to be exercised. There's a lot of emergent behavior to be discovered, and um, and it's a way for people with a smaller card collection to be on relatively similar footing. Absolutely. Well, so thanks, Fujers, for uh, for writing in with this question. I'm surprised we haven't really gone deep on this subject, despite you know it being one of the first things to notice about this game is that there's no arena. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I feel like I thought of, hey, what if we just tried to lay out what an arena would look like as a possible episode idea, but we, we were able to address it here, and thank you, Fujers, for writing in, and uh, everyone go check out Fujers' stream on Twitch whenever it happens. Our next piece of listener mail comes from listener Austin, who writes in, Hey, Mike and Taylor, I was thinking about how you discussed Gravestone and other zombie mechanics, and I was wondering, how do you think one-cost or amphibious gravestones would affect the game? Or maybe if some zombies had team-up? Uh, what chaos would that bring in the game? So have fun thinking about that. Love, Austin. Thank you, Austin. We love you, too. Yes. Um, so uh, to that last part, I think that zombies should absolutely never, ever, ever have team-up. Agreed. Yeah, that is um, that is a core mechanical identity of the plants, um, and I think that the game is very good to have that be asymmetrically distributed across the players, especially because um, team-up is such a bonkers uh, card advantage mechanism, um, and if zombies were able to, like, like, imagine if you could teleport a stupid 1-1 one, one in front of your thing that you wanted to save. Like, that would just be disgusting. Um, so I don't think that, that should ever really happen. Yeah, and team-up is foiled partially by the other side having access to Frenzy, and plants don't yes. have Frenzy. Correct. Yeah, I, I, I think the Gravestone question is the, the, the meatiest part of this for sure. And uh, back before zero-cost cards were an actual thing, and I was thinking, I wonder what a zero-cost card would look like, I had the idea of the empty gravestone being the yeah. zero cost sneaky card and I, I think that would be something i don't know how good of a resources that is because it, like you're spending an entire card in your deck to fake out your opponent or you know maybe try to eat a grave buster but i think having some kind of like decoy or you know maybe a one one hiding in a gravestone yeah. i think that would be interesting i'm sure there's a game design term for this but that's that's kind of designing cards for game designers rather than designing cards for people to have fun with um, you know, like you know, that, that is an interesting tactical concept and would be fun to sort of see how that shakes out. But I don't think that anyone would really enjoy uh, the gameplay associated with that. Um, I think that a lack of one cost gravestones is an interesting like idea. I, I wonder if that is a distinct mechanical decision that they're making. Um, you know, certainly you have the one cost cards that are designed to survive like the one mana one threes are generally like only a few things kill those things and so that's like if you want a card to survive on turn one the way you do that is by making it a one three and not uh, giving it a gravestone there's also the density thing where like you know if there's only one card that is a one cost gravestone then you know exactly what it is so you need to have a bunch of them and maybe there's not enough mechanical design space to have a bunch of them so they don't do it for that reason you don't need to have a bunch of them providing like you're not going to play the one cost gravestone guy on turn one like that's not the point of it you want to play it to fake your opponent out so you can you know surprise you know you play it on turn two so you can still play your superpower or whatever and similarly with the amphibious ones since there aren't any right now, it is a very obvious tell. If you see a gravestone pop up in the amphibious lane, it would be the new one. I think the better way to approach gravestone amphibious stuff is stuff like the synchronized swimmer, which maybe not exactly move to the water lane, but okay, so think of this. Think of like the deep sea fish. That's, uh, that's the high diver, not the synchronized swimmer. Right, yeah. Go ahead, though. Yeah. Sorry, I derailed okay. you. So so imagine this. Think of the Deep Sea Fisherman, and it is a gravestone. It is a six-cost 1-1, one, one. and 
when revealed, make a deep sea gargantuar in the amphibious lane. <laughs> like, that is the kind of interaction I want to see. I want to see gravestone creatures that would spawn a token in the water lane. I think that is the best way to uh, That's a fun way to split that difference. It. And also just like the deep sea fisherman fishing up a garg idea. Like, yeah. I think that's really funny. Yeah, I think that's cool. That card would probably cost seven. Um, but yeah, I agree that that's great. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, I think um, one of the fun things about having no amphibious gravestones is um, is getting a gravestone off of a um, mixed-up gravedigger. Like, suddenly there's a gravestone in the water lane, and it's not supposed to be there. But yeah, uh, thank you, Austin, for that question. Um, and I wonder if uh, we will see those um, gaps in the in the card space uh, filled in by future designs. I think we're definitely going to see one-cost gravestones in the next couple of sets. I think that is something that will eventually get breached in the sake of making more cards. Possible. Uh, all right, so next we got listener Elliot, who writes in with a deck. Um, we've got um, listener Elliot's take on uh, Mike's Banana Saurus deck uh, from last time. Uh, so uh, why don't you uh, dissect this deck, Mike? All right, so uh, Elliot notes that the cards that they put in are uh, Bonk Joy to kill things, which uh, which is nice because my deck doesn't have a way to deal three damage on turn one outside of the Meteor. And uh, they, went right. with they went with Berry Blast, I mean, no argument here. Same with Black Eyed Pea. And uh, Pea Patch and Captain Cucumber are also combined in there. And uh, I think Pea Patch is a very fine candidate. Like, there are a lot of slightly more expensive things that would love to get buffed by that. And uh, also a couple of Coffee Grounds to give it a little more uh, one-turn kill potential and to put a little bit more urgency on the half banana to make that a little more threatening. Sure. Yeah, so this, um, and then uh, Captain Cuke is also happening in here. And so this is like... No repeat loss, though. No review was yeah. So so that's what I was about to say. So this is um this is a lot less of a combo deck and more of a mid range deck. Uh, or, maybe, maybe even a tempo deck. I don't I don't know. I, I have a really hard time telling the difference between tempo and mid range decks. Uh, well, so that so well, uh, that is a good question to ask. Um, so there's not a lot of stuff in here that imparts a tempo loss upon your opponent. So something that gives you a tempo advantage is when you deal with their many mana play by making a not very many mana play or you say return a creature to their hand and and that gives you a creature so like um that could be something like um pogo zombie um that could be something like chili pepper um like you know you play a thing you get some value and you kill their card um, that's the sort of thing that puts them at kind of like they're on the back foot in that way this deck just kind of is trying to play some like beef you know, the um, there's some removal spells that kind of keep your creatures alive. Um, and then stuff like Fireweed and Black Eyed Pea are trying to just like outstat the stuff that your opponent is playing. You've also got the synergy between Captain Cucumber and the Banana Peel, because uh, whatever yes. banana comes out of that will cost one cheaper and maybe even free. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so that that kind of makes the lack of repeat moss surprising because like that is a way to just kind of machine gun repeat moss is to be playing zero mana banana peels. Yeah, I mean this deck seems good. Um, you know, you're you're losing a few percentage points off of half banana by having um, fewer banana source rexes, but I mean it's a legendary, so whatever. You're also pretty high on um, non creature cards, so you know you got four banana bombs, four berry blasts four banana peels and two coffee grounds, that's kind of a lot of air for you to draw. In that way, having the game go longer is kind of less what you want because you're more likely to draw less relevant stuff. Yeah, I might find a way to get another plant food in there because it works so wonderfully with stuff like Captain Cucumber. But, like, you know, arguing between two of a thing and three of a thing is really uh, small percentage points for sure, and this looks like a very good deck, and thank you so much for sending it in. Totally. Uh, and, and it'll be in the show notes, yes. as will all of these questions. We haven't mentioned that. Uh, so next, speaking of coffee grounds, we got a question here from listener Galvi, uh, who says, what environments do you think are underrated uh, and that their pick is coffee grounds? Uh, so, Mike, what do you think about underrated environments? Um, hmm. it, it feels tough to answer because you play enough games and all of the environments I perceive as being good show up somewhere. Like, Black Hole is not really underrated. Like I, Right. It was a black, black Hole is one of the best environments in the game. Surely not underrated. Right. Um, I guess, like, I mean, like, I, I would have said Spikeweed, but not really anymore with all the Garg-throwing Gargs around here. Uh, 
I don't know, Meteor Z or oh no, the maybe the overshoot one, maybe the laser base alpha. I I don't know. Like I I don't know how many of these are actually underused. Like okay, so I've got a I've got a pick. Um, my pick for underused card is Bog of Enlightenment. Uh, the three mana. Uh, smarty environment it says plants here that are amphibious get plus two attack zombies here that aren't amphibious get minus two attack and so it's basically like as close as you can to playing an extra water lane um and so i think that this card is great because um this is a very effective way to keep beans alive this is a very effective way to keep a rotobega alive it being a three-cost plant environment means you're you're taking on quite a bit of risk by it being able to be paved over by a one-mana uh, trick phase zombie environment, which is like something that you're always going to uh, have to be concerned about. But Bog of Enlightenment is very good at, at getting legitimate card advantage. If you're going to run Bog of Enlightenment, you're running Leaf Blower too, right? Probably, yes. Yeah, because that becomes a 5-4 on turn 4 that bounces a thing. That sounds phenomenal. Yes, I agree with that statement. Wow, uh, I applaud you for champing for the bog. Well, I've I've gotten my ass kicked by it a few times where, like, you don't really think about it because you don't really see it, but then it's like, you know, I have, uh, like, a trick-or-treater that is, that is on the field doing stuff, and then they're like, bog of enlightenment, and I'm like, oh, sh- I thought that I could safely play my trick-or-treater in front of this random weenie and, and have it not be in danger but nope uh yeah i'll, I'll moon base z i guess like that is uh really scary with stuff like dr space time or that's disco not one right yeah yeah that's the uh things that give stuff there overshoot three so you, you yeah overshoot your... three is legit yeah three is a lot of damage and like there's a lot of things in this game that proc on hurting the plant hero like abracadaver and cheese cutter like you can definitely have this in a be your your environment of choice in a in a real formidable deck. I even lost a tournament match to it at some point. Someone running Infinity, running that and putting stuff like Doctor Space Time on it. I saw uh, Fry streaming this like really disgusting deck that had that and um, the Gondola. Uh, so when the Gondola connects, it cr- moves to a random lane and leaves behind a random zombie. Um, and one of the consequences of that is. If it connects in the overshoot phase, the creature that it leaves behind gets to attack. Oh dear! Um, and so that is that's like like gondola is a pretty gross card already, especially since it can be amphibious. But um, yeah, gon- giving gondola overshoot is like probably the highest payoff of things like that. I mean, there's plenty of great things to give um, overshoot. You know, anything with bullseye and like cheese cutter goes very well on that. Um, but yeah, um, putting gondola on Moonbase Z is is definitely living the dream. Our last email of this mailbag comes from listener Graham, who submits a Binary Stars Trickster deck. A neat little twist on a standard Trickster brainstorm. It is very control-focused. Only uh, four, five, six, seven, only ten creatures in this deck, and they all cost five or more. So you got some Binary Stars, you got four Tricksters. Well, well, there's Beamy Up. Beamy Up's a creature. Yes, that is true. Very focused on... uh, doing nothing or killing whatever the opponent has out there. It's running the, uh, the mouse trap environment the, that does one that's, damage, that's, uh, everything trapper, there. Trapper territory. And then, like, it's running four exploding fruitcakes, four that's rocket ridiculous. science. I'm, I'm, so I'm not um, trying to slam your, your deck-building skills on Instagram, but uh, four exploding fruitcakes is, is a very strong statement. Like, what you are screaming extremely loud with that is, I lose 100% of the time that my opponent plays a wingnut. And Wingnut can absolutely not be allowed to exist. If you're going to, like, you know, Mike was just talking about how few creatures you've got. The plant player conjuring a fruit is a very dangerous thing for you to just let them do a bunch of times. Um, and I guess this this deck really has to get hosed by Wingnut if, if 4x exploding fruitcake is what the doctor ordered. I think also having cheap removal tricks is good for binary stars because you want to make sure that it can kill and survive whatever is in that lane. The, the one criticism I would have is that Binary Stars is the only Gravestone in this deck. So if you're up against anyone holding a Gravebuster, they will, by definition, be holding it until you play the Binary Stars. Correct. So I might try to put in something like a Kite Flyer to give you a little more draw and a, a little more magnetism for Gravebusters so you can play your Binary Stars and feel safe. But, like, Binary Stars Trickster is 
obviously an incredible combo that can kill you super fast. Like, that is a, it's real cool. If I had more tricksters, I would probably try and run a deck like this. Yeah, I, I definitely lack the requisite uh, exploding fruitcakes to build this exact deck, um, but this, I do kind of have all the other pieces, so maybe we'll see. And uh, there's maximum burn, of course, so there's four Bunzi Plumbers and three uh, Zombots Wrath. Zombots Wrath notably going to the dome, so if you are able to have a binary stars out, it attacks for six, which um, which it can normally do if you have a if every lane is full, but this deck is not capable of filling every lane really, um, so that is uh, that's a thing. No but, final yeah. mission either, which is a little surprising. Although I guess it well, makes there's no, sense. There's no there's no tokens. Yeah, that that's a good point. I I suppose thinking about uh, final missioning the gas giant and being able to do sure. combo damage to the dream that way is floating yeah, around in my head. That's 18 with the binary stars. Um, and uh, But Graham says that their win rate is about 75% of the games with this deck. And I mean, you know, that is... That's not... Oh, and uh, so this is something that we alluded to, given that this is Trickster. Um, but yeah, Trickster's in this deck. So that's that's six more points of burn that is ostensibly going to the face. You know, I mean, I think that the game plan for this deck is like, binary stars comes out of the gravestone, you teleport in your like zero-cost Trickster, and then deal them 12 and they die. You know, so that's that's certainly legit. Yeah, that is a totally legit strategy for, for trying to kill him late, and it does well against stuff like healing decks where, you know, if you're not doing damage to them at all through the first eight turns, then they can't heal for anything, and it's a good counter that way. Um, and then, uh, so listener Graham's emails in the show notes. Um, it ends with a crazy game story that contains kind of a complicated board state, so we won't uh, read it verbatim. Um, but it's a pretty nuts uh, scenario, and uh, you would enjoy it if you take a look at it. So please do. Yes, and uh, thank you, Graham, for sending that in. And thank you to all of our listeners for sending mail. And if you would like to have yours submitted the next time we do listener mail, you can send it to shroomfor2podcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. Um, and uh, we've got a bunch more videos going up on our, our YouTube page, which is also Shroom for Two Podcast. Mike, I think you're embargoing some of them until uh, one of your opponents is is out of or wins the tournament. Yes, I think the raw tournament footage should be mostly deprivatized by the time this goes up. There's a, a few against uh, Akati, who is still in the tournament, who I will keep private for uh, strategic respect. But uh, yeah, check those out. There's a, a bunch of really, really fun games playing a banana combustible and anti-meta smash and then a few of me getting my butt kicked by Rose and Wall Knight. Uh, yeah, and a quick announcement that we'll also make in the post. So you've probably seen this already, but just in case you haven't, um, no show next week. Um, I'm going to be on vacation over 4th of July. Um, and so uh, you will not hear a episode of Shroom for Two on the first week of July. Uh, but we'll be back right after that, and uh, we've got some cool stuff planned. We're going to do some commentary on those videos. Uh, we're probably um, due for another uh, like recorded YouTube match between me and you, Mike. Uh, maybe I'll actually win one of those sometime. Um, and uh, yeah, a bunch more stuff coming down the pipe for you guys. And until that pipe, I'm Mike. And I'm Taylor. Have a good 4th of July, everybody. Happy LeBron opts out of his contract day. Probably. Okay, yeah, that's a 46-minute segment, so uh, long, long show this week, so I feel a little better about not doing a show next week.